You're listening to The Fish Dish, brought to you by Eat Wisconsin Fish, a campaign of the Wisconsin Sea Grant Program. Are you fish curious, or are you a fish expert who wants to learn even more about Wisconsin's fisheries and cooking fish? We'll give you the latest dish on fish. Your hosts are Sharon Moen and Marie Zwickoff. Two, two friends, friends who, who have, have been, been working, working for Sea Grant seemingly forever and who know a thing or two about fish. But that's forever in a good way. Sharon runs the Eat Wisconsin Fish campaign. And Marie is a science communicator. In this episode, we'll meet Daniel Grooms, who works for the Red Cliff Fish Company in Red Cliff, Wisconsin. Red Cliff is at the top of Wisconsin's Bayfield Peninsula, and it's the home of the Red Cliff Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. The company processes and sells fish caught from Lake Superior by tribal fishers. In fact, it's entirely owned and operated by the band. In the second fish-olicious part of the show, we'll be cooking some frozen white fish in the microwave? Oh yeah, that's right, in the microwave. It'll be our quickest, easiest recipe yet. Lake Whitefish on the Run, as I like to call it. Sharon, how did you get to know Daniel, and how is the Red Cliff Fish Company a bit different than other fish outlets? So I met Daniel in the summer of 2021, soon after he became the business manager of the Red Cliff Fish Company. His enthusiasm for the work is infectious, and he is clear about the company's part in supporting the band's mission to promote, plan, and provide for the health, welfare, education, environmental protection, cultural preservation, and economic well-being of the tribal members, and to protect treaty rights now and in the future. The Red Cliff Fish Company opened for business at a rough moment. It was November 2020, during the first spike of the COVID-19 pandemic, and in the middle of the lake herring, or Cisco season. This means the fish were coming in fast and furious, while newly hired staff were still working out the kinks and learning how to cut fish while running the retail market. The company survived the mayhem, in part because of their clarity of purpose. They worked with about 15 commercial fishing vessels, operated by members of both the Red Cliff and Bad River Bands of Lake Superior Chippewa. The company provides these fishers with a competitive rate for their catch and a processing facility that understands the traditional cultural and modern hurdles they face. Through the company, the band seeks to provide their fishermen with decent livelihoods while working towards food sovereignty. Okay, so explain food sovereignty for us. Okay, sure. Food sovereignty is the right of people to healthy and culturally appropriate foods defined by their own food and agricultural systems. Ecology and sustainability are core to the tribal food sovereignty. One of the things Daniel said they are excited to be doing is putting food together in boxes for tribal elders, and that intent extends beyond Redcliffe through Feeding Wisconsin. In 2021, Feeding Wisconsin piloted a tribal elder food box program, and the results are in. They distributed over 10,000 boxes, averaging 20 pounds each to elders of seven tribal nations. 41% of the food was purchased from indigenous producers, such as the Redcliffe Fish Company. Boxes contained a combination of protein, including bison and fish, and produce, including berries, corn, beans, and squash. The Red Cliff Fish Company is also working to be a zero-waste, sustainable facility, so all of the fish waste goes to the Red Cliff Community Farm, where it is being composted for use at the farm and in the community. Hmm, That sounds like a really good idea. So let's meet Daniel. My name is Daniel Grooms. I am a Red Cliff Chippewa member here. I moved here in 95 and grew up about three miles just down the road. I've been all over the United States and I've been here in this area, mainly I was in Gulf, but I decided to take on this opportunity to get into the fish industry, uh, more using my my business background to, again, promote the business to get it, because I think this is a wonderful opportunity that Red Club has to provide 
just for the local area, but then also just anywhere possible just to get the word out. And it was a great, again, great opportunity for me. Yeah. Sharon asked Daniel if there's anything he wished the public knew about the tribal fishery. Well, I think it had a lot to do with our treaty rights here in the area, being able to hunt, gather, and fish is our big kind of export. And we have a lot of tradition and a lot of families here in Redcliffe that do commercial fish in the area. And um, I think just with the uh, reservation in general, taking a stand to that and actually providing an opportunity to provide not only for um, other reservation here, but you know, also provide a quality product to, to everyone else. So I think that was a huge push. Um, there's a lot, a lot of potential here, and we're just you know, working hard to make that a factor. So I just want to pick up on that thread that Daniel mentioned about treaty rights. They are really important for understanding the Great Lakes fisheries. Indigenous roles in natural resource management and their status as sovereign nations are often misunderstood or underappreciated. Their story starts over 3,000 years ago when the nomadic tribes of the old copper complex were fishing the upper Great Lakes and left copper fish hooks and fish bones as evidence. Some say such prehistoric fisheries provided, quote, the most important single organizing concept for understanding the cultural development of this region, unquote. Fast forward about 2,700 years. Since the earliest European contact with indigenous people from the Upper Great Lakes, almost all written accounts mention the importance of the fishery. I won't get into the troubled history of conflict between indigenous Americans and Europeans, except to say that a series of 18th and 19th century treaties between the U.S. government and tribes meant that the tribes, like the Red Cliff and Bad River Bands of Lake Superior Chippewa, retained right of continued occupancy. Importantly, the 1842 treaty with the Lake Superior Chippewa confirmed the existing rights of hunting, fishing, and gathering with more than 10 million acres of ceded land and water. The Great Lakes Indian Fish and Wildlife Commission helps manage these rights, and the Chippewa Ottawa Resource Authority does the same for tribes in Michigan. Legal affirmations of these rights began in the 1970s because of regulation changes that were being made in the states in the fisheries management. The biggest areas of contention include exclusion of gill nets as gear in Michigan and spearfishing repression in Wisconsin and Minnesota. The allocations for harvest are hashed out between the state and tribal governments every two decades or so through consent decree negotiations. Just to clear up misconceptions, which can still cause discord, treaty rights are not renegotiated during consent decree meetings. Courts do not grant the Ojibwe treaty rights. These rights were never given away. They live within the communities as belief, value, and cultural systems. Consent decree negotiations, like the ones going on currently between the state of Michigan and the tribes consolidated through the Chippewa Ottawa Resource Authority, define the nuances of tribal versus state harvest allocations in different management units. So, it's important for the Red Cliff Band of Lake Superior Chippewa to honor and exercise their treaty rights, but there's a major problem, the lack of a workforce, and their location can be challenging. Consistency with, you know, work staff, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's still pandemic, it's tough getting people here and that kind of stuff. For me, on the business side is, I don't mind being out here on the floor, um, processing fish, I actually really enjoy it, but my job also is to get us more customers to market to develop our website the clothing so for me it's a little bit tough just handling that aspect of it you know with more staff that opportunity for me to actually be in there grows and then also our client base also grows so we can again process more fish and it's tough i mean opening our the facility here opened in november and we hit herring season pretty hard but the other factor was again staffing i think they had three main staff and they, they were here every day, and you know you just get burnt out. I 
I mean, that's a lot to deal with. And again, winters in Bayfield in general, it's brutal here. I mean, everything pretty much shuts down end of October. I mean, our, our, yeah. our uh, tourist season kind of ends around that time. And Bayfield itself, a lot of establishments just close, you know, everything's seasonal here. So I think the town itself took a big hit. A lot, a lot more things were closed than they normally were. It made it for a long winter. Sharon, let's talk about some of these workforce issues. I hear through the grapevine at work that you have a project in the works that might help with this. Right. So Wisconsin Sea Grant is working with Michigan Sea Grant on framing up an apprentice program for not only the tribal fishers of both of our states, but also the state licensed commercial fishers who are suffering the same problems of like a lack of a workforce and wondering who the next generation of fishers is going to be. And so we're interviewing the fishing community in all of the Great Lakes and figuring out what new fishers need to know and where they think this new breed of fishermen are going to be coming from. It's interesting. So we have commercial fishers fishing families who have been active for four to five generations, four to six generations, really. And they're wondering, where's the seventh generation? And then the tribal fisheries who've been fishing for thousands of years, and they're like, we don't have a workforce either. Mainly it's because, you know, a lot of the good jobs now are are sitting at your desk in front of a computer, and a lot of the kids are being trained on computers. And so that hands in the, the fish guts is getting a little harder to find people interested in doing that. So what we're kind of learning is kids with that inclination, you can identify them when they're young. They're the ones who want to be outside a lot, who want to get up early and sit on the docks and watch animals. And I think there's that's where we're going to find our next Great Lakes commercial fishing group is is trying to identify those kids and and share the opportunities. It's a good living. It's a hard living. It's mm-hmm. it's an unusual living, but it's a, it can be a good living. And didn't you get a grant to yes, do this? Yes, yes. Um so we were giving given the seed money from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration who passed it through the National Sea Grant program. So we had 6 months to figure this out. And there is a little bit of more money available once we get this framework set that maybe we could launch a pilot program. Okay, so you got money like for the planning. Yeah, we got money for the planning. And and certainly the tribes were part of that. And they wrote a letter of support, as did the state of Wisconsin for this, because everybody recognizes that we need a new workforce. But I don't think this is the only industry that's feeling like that either. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we're competing with those few people who really want outdoor jobs Mm -hmm. um, with farming and other agricultural pursuits, Mm -hmm. food system pursuits. So in the meantime, until the apprenticeship program actually gets out on the ground or on the water. On the water, I like that. Or in the (laughs) fish house or whatever. Uh Daniel is getting more proficient with his fish processing skills. And the Red Cliff Fish Company he works for gets help from the tribe sometimes. So I was pretty happy that I noticed this morning that my cuts are a little bit quicker and I'm making a little less mistakes. So I'm like, I'm just happy about that myself. Yeah, any you know, help in general is always good. We have other agencies in Redcliffe here that mm-hmm. um, do lend a helping hand that, yeah, will come down and you know, offer up their time and their hours to be here and help us process in a pinch. And uh, we're very, very appreciative of that. So that goes a long way as well. So Sharon, I want to go back to the comment you made about people don't want to get their hands in fish guts, or did you say they do want to get their hands in fish guts? (laughs) Not many people these (laughs) days are interested in getting their hands in fish guts. I personally don't mind. I don't know if I could 
do it every day. But to be a fish processor, you have to be okay with that. And I think it was interesting what Daniel said about fish processing, because it surprised him also. Yeah, and he's saying that it's cleaner than you might think. I think in general, with our safety standards we have here on just food in general, we're very, very cautious, we're very up to date. Both of us are constantly on the staff to make sure that our standards are met. So again, we're providing also a quality product, but like you said, in here we keep it as clean as possible, even after we're done cutting, we'll clean. I think it's it's cleaner than most people think, I would say. Yeah. The whole process, again, me coming from the outside in and not having a ton of fishing background, I, you know, I'm, I was very surprised. I thought it might not be as cleanly as I thought, but it really is. Animals love me now. I smell like fish when I go home, so I mean, mm-hmm. there's that, that kind of benefit to that, but uh, I would say in general, I think that's, you know, it's it's really a clean process. I love where he says animals love me now. <laughs> he probably like just like, follow him around when he goes home. <laughs> Another question you asked Daniel uh, when you were over there at the fish company was who their customers are, not just the cats. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's more than animals. Follow so, him yeah, around. Although I suppose humans are animals too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, their customers are an interesting mix of tribal members and people from the community. And there's a lot of tourism that goes on up in the Red Cliff area in Bayfield County. And uh, so they have a really great variety of customers. So here's what Daniel has to say about that. I would say anyone who loves fish, really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, we're, we're fortunate to be in an area where we are small town based, Bayfield mm-hmm. being the stream out south, Washburn and Ashland kind of the Bay Area. We're not overly large. Um, a lot of potential for restaurants, and again, we have a lot of tourism here. So it's a, you know, one of our bigger market is to touch base with all of our visitors. And again, uh, we have a lot of folks that either have tried our fish and have come out here to, to buy some more, or are excited that when we get our website up and running for the potential of buying fish online to be sent out. So I would say in general, our market mainly is, I'd like to be here, all mm-hmm. other than that. Another huge focus is other reservations that yep. may not have the capability of commercial fishing in general. So to provide a quality product from our harvest, I could say, to them. So they have you know, they can benefit from, again, our, our treaty and also us hunting and gathering and fishing. And then you also asked him what Sea Grant can do to help. Okay, you know, we have the apprenticeship program and that will be a big help. But yeah, here's his perspective on other ways. I would say just getting us out there. I mean, having the opportunity to Mm -hmm. use it as a resource to present our product in another uh, platform other than just right now, kind of word of mouth. I mean, we have a website, but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it needs work. So I think it's definitely a good opportunity to, to further advance ourselves as a, as a company that does, again, quality products. And we're very happy and proud of what we, we do here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that story can go a long way. And now it's time for the Fishalicious part of our podcast, where we discuss fish recipes, which, by the way, you can find on the Eat Wisconsin Fish website, which is eatwisconsinfish.org, along with photos. Plus, it's also on the Fish Dish podcast page, seagrant.wisc.edu slash audio. What 
dish do we have today, Sharon? I'm excited that we're going to be cooking lake whitefish on the run, which is pretty much just steamed whitefish. And you can put lemon on it or pepper or garlic, whatever you like. And so it's a really family friendly meal. And we're cooking this from frozen, right? In the microwave? Right, right. So you can't, it, fish is one of those wonderful proteins that you can go right from the freezer into the microwave. Uh, just add a couple extra seconds on, like 30 seconds for a thin slice of fish or you know a minute if you're cooking salmon or something like that that's thicker so if it's like frozen you add on extra time right right okay Mm -hmm. yeah we thought that this would be a good recipe because it's really super simple um simpler than some of the recipes we've been having lately and it's also really good if you're tired on like a, a friday and it's been a long week and everything is frozen. (laughs) (laughs) Which often happens in my household. (laughs) So it's nice to have something you can just whip it together very quickly and make it a tasty, almost gourmet meal if you want to. And it's so much more healthy than, say, fish sticks because they're not fried and breaded. It's a steamed fish. Mm -hmm. Hey, did you hear that Stephen King put a recipe up for salmon, microwave salmon, and he got some backlash on that? No, I didn't. Yeah. So I guess he tweeted about it just this last week or something, and he wrapped a chunk of salmon in wet paper towels and microwaved it for two minutes, and they tweeted about it, and people were like, how sacrilegious to to microwave a fish. (laughs) And so it, it, it created this whole discussion online about microwaving fish, which was interesting, I thought. But I also want to address the elephant in the room where people think that uh, the number one issue everyone has with microwave cooking is thinking that it zaps the nutrients out of our food. But according to an article from the Harvard Medical School, cooking with a microwave can actually preserve nutrients that break down when heated over more traditional cooking methods. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. Now, I remember you telling me when you were at the Red Cliff Fish Company, you were talking to someone on the staff there, and they had an unusual whitefish dish. Correct. And it's probably, well, I have not tried it yet, and it's probably going to be one of the last on my list for doing because it's a whitefish dessert. And so he took some whitefish, um, some heavy whipping cream, almonds, and strawberries, and then you did it. he did it in a slow bake, and it was like his whitefish dessert. Like, I love fish, but I haven't I had a fish dessert yet. <laughs> wow. Stephen King should try that yes. one. <laughs> but talk about backlash. Right, right. It's like, oh my goodness. But, huh, it sounds interesting. Well, something for a future show, maybe. maybe. <laughs> Actually, I encourage any of our listeners to send in dessert recipes using fish. It would be an interesting special. Mm-hmm. A dessert yeah. special. Send them to Sharon. <laughs> smoen at aqua.wisc.edu. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's go cook some whitefish. Sounds great. Sharon is cutting a lemon into slices. Pick her up. (laughs) Yes, and we have a piece of frozen whitefish from Bodine's Fishery. Yes, we got it from Bayfield. Yes, Bodine's. Uh, You could also get it from Redcliffe or many places, actually. Door County, too. Um, Go to the... The fish market's there, and uh, pick up your fresh white fish or your frozen white fish. And so, what we're really going to do is kind of steam this. So you you might think that you know you think about you don't want to heat up the oven or light up the grill. We're going to do a steamed white fish. So we we need a microwave safe dish, which Maria is getting for us. Now, do you rinse it? I usually rinse I it. I usually rinse it, too. Just, 
We don't have to pat this one dry because we're going to add water to it or some a liquid to it anyway. And then when you're holding it up, you can see there's some thin parts and some thicker parts. So to make things cook evenly, you fold the, the thin parts under a little. Oh. Yeah, and that makes it cook evenly. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so then you don't get some big dry parts. So we're in a, like a nine by nine glass dish here, baking dish. And so now you can put whatever you want over top of it, depending on your, your food preferences or allergies of your family or yourself. I'm going to do lemon. Is lemon good for you? Yeah. Okay. Love lemon. Uh-huh. Yeah. Love the lemon. Love the lemon. And acid, like lemon or kimchi often goes well with fish. So you can make it, you know, classic with lemon like we're doing today. So something with an acid base or a vinegar base for your fish. We also have a lot of good sauce recipes on the Eat Wisconsin Fish website because basically fish is so easy to cook. You just dress it up differently with different spices and sauces. Uh, so we have lemon on here. What else do you like on your fish? Salt and pepper. Perfect choices. Sometimes dill, but... Oh, tarragon is supposed to be one of those fish-friendly uh, Oh, I haven't tried it with tarragon. Yeah, we have that. Yeah, let's do, let's do a, like, so we have lemon, we're going to put salt and pepper and tarragon on top. All right, so when we say we're microwaving the fish, we're actually kind of steaming the fish. So what I'm going to do next is I'm going to put in a teaspoon of white cooking wine. So here we go with that. Glug, glug. Oh, here we go. And then after we pour that over the fish, I'm going to take some microwavable plastic wrap. She has to find the end first. (laughs) It's stuck to itself. I hate when it does that. You can also use a baking dish that has a lid to it, which... My baking dish does not have a lid. Yeah, so then you kind of seal it down so the air can escape. And with fish, you kind of have to keep an eye on it. And you have to also, so know thine own microwave. Some microwaves cook faster than others. And so if I were doing it that's at home, I'd put it in for probably four minutes and then give it a look-see. But I don't know about the microwave we're using today. That is kind of a slim fillets so i'd probably do like three and a half minutes okay and i usually poke some holes like with a knife in the plastic but so this recipe says you don't you don't do that right but i'm okay with the like a hole or two because some baking okay. dishes have little holes in the top of them oh. just to let a little of the steam out so i'm just gonna jab one little hole in the middle here just in case our fish needs to breathe there all right <laughs> okay off to the microwave with you. All right, here we go. Mm-hmm. So three thirty. If you're going from frozen to cooked, you need to add like a minute to the whole cooking time. But again, it's important to keep an eye on what's happening in there because you don't want it to get overcooked, and then that's what makes it leathery and not as good to eat. While that's happening, you can get your vegetables ready. Oh, it's done! I'm so excited. This is gonna be yummy. All right. So Sharon has artfully arranged the fish with an edible violet flower and some lemon and some chives. And it looks like springtime. It does. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we just had Easter and this flower is pinkish purple. So right. just and right. with the yellow lemons. It's like an Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really good to accent white fish with some color. And so having a, some edible flowers around and some lemons is always a good idea. What do you think, Marie? 
the whitefish flavor really comes through. That's the nice thing about microwaving fish is the fish flavor doesn't get covered up by a lot of other extraneous right. things. And I like that we kept it simple today with just salt and pepper and a little tarragon. Then accented with the lemon and chives. Mm-hmm. Very good. I think I might have overdone it just a hint. Overcooked it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to learn by trial and error. Exactly, and that's kind of the fun of cooking or the art of cooking. If you get better, as the more you do it, and the more you learn your equipment. And so if I were going to do this again, I might maybe not cook it at the full full power, because you can cut it to 50% maybe, or just keep it in there a little shorter of the time. But like I said, at home, my, my microwave is a little slower than yours. So anyway, it's still delicious. And heart healthy, full of omega-3 fatty acids. For more information and our Lake Whitefish on the Run recipe, visit Eat Wisconsin Fish on the web at eatwisconsinfish.org, plus Twitter and Facebook. Thanks go to Daniel Grooms and to Bonnie Willison and Jennifer Smith with Sea Grant for their behind-the-scenes work on this episode. Thank you for listening. On so did see. On so did see.